Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Lord, for Brandon, for the worship, for the praise, for what leads us to you. Thank you for helping us get lost in our praise and our wonder and our worship. More and more, oh God, set us free to worship you from the inside out, that you would be made known in us, that Christ in us would be hope to the world. We give you praise, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to buy $3 worth of God. Please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough of him to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I just want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, but not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. In his classic book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster wrote these penetrating words, superficiality is the curse of our age. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people or effective people or happy people, but for deep people. As we turn to Galatians chapter 4, I want us to think about, as the Apostle Paul challenged these believers to think about, the price we pay for settling for $3 worth of God. Galatians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul has spent the first several phrases and paragraphs and chapters, as, uh, as it were, um, preparing these believers uh, for the end of the story, telling them the problem that they're facing, the concern that he has, and that is that they are not experiencing the genuine freedom that grace has brought to them in Jesus Christ. And in the remaining portion of this letter, he is going to actually explain to them and develop for them how they can actually experience the freedom that grace has brought to them through faith in Jesus Christ. But this, this passage is kind of a hinge between the two great thoughts. And he's passionate. And starting in verse 8 of Galatians chapter 4, the apostle writes this, Before you knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. Now how about that? That is a commentary on your life, your spiritual condition before you knew God. You were actually enslaved to something that didn't even exist. It wasn't even a reality. That's the idea. 
Verse 9, so now that you know God, or more literally, he said, should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. These were the focuses, the focus on the externals, the traditions of men, of the human experience. Why do you want to go back to that kind of experience in your Christian life? And can I ask you all a question this morning? Because we're all friends, we're all in the body of Christ together, and we are to love one another. If you truly have been born again, if you've experienced grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Why do you want to go back to that kind of experience where everything is focused on the externals and you are not free? Free to laugh, free to dance, free to sing, free to serve, free to be. See, that's the question that God asks us at this juncture in our experience. Because before you knew God, that was, that was your only option, was to be enslaved to something that didn't exist. So-called gods, the God of materialism, the God of achievement, the God of human recognition and success, the God of getting awards and trophies and great grades and getting degrees and adding more and more stuff and houses and cars and retirement funds and all of these things. These are so-called gods that don't even exist and before you knew God or actually quite literally before God knew you you were enslaved to all of that but now you see as the song says and you all sang you've been set free from that so why do you want to go back why do you want to stay in that state of bondage where you're not free. That's the question that the Apostle Paul asks in this passage. You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days, by doing things from a human perspective. You're trying to keep yourself right before God and somehow earn all the badges and all of these things with God by doing things, doing the right things. And not doing the wrong things. And he says, I fear for you. I'm actually fearful for your spiritual destiny. Perhaps all of my hard work with you was for nothing. So they must have had a sense of it and had begun to experience it at the beginning. But something has slipped in their experience. And then he says so passionately, so lovingly, so affectionately, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Now he's groveling. He's begging. Listen to this. This is a pastor who's begging God's people, please be free. I plead with you, he says, live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. That's passion. Such a high regard for these believers and that they experience something more, something much more beyond themselves. 
And it's the difference Paul talks about in this passage. Most Christians remain unfree and in a place where they've not experienced the fullness of supernatural enablement and the provision of Christ and His Spirit. Because it would mean, you see, they'd have to believe and change from their form of superficial faith, which is convenient, certainly. It's comfortable, it's safe, and it's clean. We like it there. But it amounts to $3 worth of God. And a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. A little bit of ecstasy, but no transformation. We are absolutely Christians. These believers were genuine in their faith, heirs to the promises of Christ. But something was missing. They had regressed. They had gone back to an experience where they were not free. And listen, this can happen to any believer, any Christian who begins with the supernatural transformation that brings about your salvation when you first believed in Jesus and God saved you from your sins and delivered you from darkness and placed you in light. Whatever it is, your great salvation experience, that's all part of the Spirit's work. It's supernatural. It can only be accomplished by God in your life. But then all of a sudden, you go right back to doing things your way, relying on your own resources, your own thought process, is your common sense, whatever that means, and everything else that is human rather than relying solely and completely on the power and provision of God. That's the problem. If you are not praying about everything deeply and seeking the Lord passionately in His living, active, supernatural Word, then you are most likely relying on your own human abilities and resources. That's that's the challenge. The Holy Spirit, because you are in Christ, is your only source of ability, your only source of wisdom, your only source of strength, discernment, and joy. Everything else is human effort. Everything else falls short. And you're trying to earn favor with God. That is the witness of revelation. That comes from the authority of the word of God. He says, you did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. This is verse 12. Surely you remember when I was sick. He's going back. He's going back to their original experience when they first heard the gospel. Paul came to them. He was actually sick. He was ill. He was He was so ill, it was awkward for them to receive him. Surely you remember that when I was sick, I first brought you the good news. That was the scenario. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not. You did not despise me or turn turn me away. Why? They were experiencing the grace and freedom of Christ. So even in the midst of this kind of horrifying illness that was presented to them in the apostle, they did not reject him, though they were tempted to. Because they were experiencing freedom. Look what he says. Look how transparent and genuine this is. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God. 
or even Christ Jesus himself. Wow, how about that? Is that not evidence of the Spirit's work in the believer's life that they would be so embracing of someone, maybe so offensive, so awkwardly different from them that they would treat them as if they were an angel or even the Lord Jesus himself? That is an evidence of the freedom and grace of Christ in my life, in your life. See that? But that was then. Something has changed, he says. What's gone, what's gone wrong? Well, what's gone wrong is he continued to proclaim the gospel to them. It was not a gospel unto salvation. It was a gospel unto freedom. I am sure, he says, where is that joy? Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? Now, that's a good question, isn't it? Where's your joy? Where's that original joyfulness? Where's your gratitude? The gratitude of your heart filled with thanksgiving and thankfulness. It comes out of your mouth. And just out of your worship and your, your expression of praise to God and, and in your relationship with other people. Where's your joy? That, that's also evidence of freedom and grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul is going, where, where did that go? He said, I remember when it was so good that you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Here's the problem. I'm a sinner. I'm in darkness. I'm under condemnation's cloud, certain judgment. The Savior comes. I'm offered grace and the forgiveness of my sins, and I receive it by faith. Yes, I'll take that. I want to be saved. But when the truth starts to hit home, the truth of grace, the truth of freedom, the truth of all of these things that are available to you now that you are in Christ, now that's another matter because now you're going to start messing with things that are a little too important to me like my family, like the way we set our priorities, the way we raise our children, When that truth starts to be delivered, it's, it's the same gospel. It's not a gospel unto salvation, but Paul kept bringing those truths. Now that I keep bringing that truth to you, now all of a sudden when you once received me lovingly and graciously, now all of a sudden I see this resentment building over time because you don't want that truth because you want to stay in bondage. And the apostle, is, he's, he's perplexed. He's confused. He doesn't get it. But listen, we are so good in the evangelical church, especially the Baptist church, preaching the gospel of salvation. you got to get saved. Amen? Amen. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We proclaim it from the housetops. It's in every one of our Sunday school curricula. It's in everything that we do. And praise God that it is because people need to hear that portion of the gospel. The problem is we leave out the whole rest which says if Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. You no longer are shackled by human expectation and responsibilities and all of those things that are added to the gospel by the human experience. There's something deeper. There's something much more compelling, much more transforming, much more powerful that can actually set you free from the patterns of the world that you once knew. 
Why do you want to go back? That's the question of Galatians. And you're never going to be ready for Galatians 5 and 6 if you don't wrestle with the profound truths of Galatians 4. Now there's a couple of things, there's a couple of threats <coughs> that he highlights. The first, of all, first of all, it's a, th- a threat from within, it's personal. The apostle says, please stop relying on yourselves. It's a superficial human expression of what real faith looks like. You're trying too hard. You're trying, period. And that already begins to block the power of grace in your life. You cannot try to live the Christian life. You cannot try to be holy. All of these things have to be supernaturally formed within you by the Spirit of God. That's what grace does. rather than focusing on the external principles of the world. It's the difference between trying to earn favor with God by acting Christian and experiencing the actual wondrous favor and freedom of God by believing in His grace. That's the difference. It's the difference between going deep and settling for $3 worth of God. Now you might easily go about confronting some of the very real challenges in your life the same way you would fixing your plumbing or remodeling your bathroom or overhauling your car. I mean, you don't need God's power for any of that, do you? Not really. Maybe. So you might consult an expert or or go to Lowe's if you have the courage or Menards if you have patience. Or maybe you're going to read a book on the topic or just go it alone. But there's no real consideration for the need for divine power or supernatural provision for such things, right? Yes, of course not. You don't bow in prayer and ask the Lord to send you someone, someone at Menards who knows something about plumbing. Maybe you should, but typically that's not our approach. We just go for it. We go it alone. It's called home improvement. Do it yourself. <laughs> the problem is we, trans- we transplant that same sort of utilitarianism, that same sort of practical approach to those things, to things of the deeper life. What about your temper? What about your genuinely real struggle with darkness or lust or pornography or whatever happens to be? What about your frayed relationship with your spouse or maybe a struggling child who's in the midst of a a, a debilitating struggle? What about those things? You see, as heirs of Christ and all we have in in Him, why should we insist on a superficial reliance on self rather than finding our fulfillment in the power of God, tapping into the supernatural experience of freedom, letting go and trusting His power, praying and believing, seeking and finding all that God has for us. That's what he's saying. You're trying too hard. Why have you gone back? The first blocker of this experience is myself. It's us. It's It's our passion for our own resourcefulness. But there's a second and perhaps more insidious blocker. And it's not from within, it's from without. 
This is down in verse 17. It happens to be other people. Here in this context, he calls them out as false teachers. These were the Christian teachers in this context, in this church of Galatia, that were bent on drawing these believers away from a full experience of freedom of grace in Christ. And so they were trying to convince them to focus on the law, circumcision and all the rules and observances of the days and the feasts and the festivals. And, you know, if you do this and you do this and you go to this and you go to that and you don't do this and you don't do this and you do all this other nonsense, you see, then, then you'll be able to earn favor with God. It was a different gospel and they were in the church. They were Christian teachers in the church, and he calls them false. They weren't the real deal, but their intentions were not good. They are trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. How about that? Do you know You may not have a false teacher in your life, but you may actually have people in your life, people in the body of Christ who are genuinely Christian, but who do not want you to experience grace and freedom the way Christ has ordained for you to experience it. Real believers who are resigned to stay in this simple human reliance, petty state of Christian immaturity, and they'd love nothing else than for you to stay there too. They're blockers. They're not necessarily false teachers today, but although that might be possible, but they might be good friends. Maybe they're in the group that you happen to be most comfortable with, with whom you choose to have close ties, and maybe you've got years of friendship experience, but they have refused to receive the truths of grace and freedom, and they don't want you to experience it either, and they want you to join them in their pity ways. That's also in the church. And so the focus is on, on, on rules and the focus is on their needs and things that are related to them and, and they're satisfying, um, that, making sure that all their needs be met and everything is about them. Those are, those are blockers. Those are people in your life that are trying to keep you from experiencing the grace and freedom that Christ has already given you. And the exhortation of the scriptures, of the word of God, is that you need to get yourself out from under that influence. Not tomorrow, yesterday. If you want more than $3 worth of God. Now, what's the vision of God for you? Well, he tells us that. I love it, that on this section, we're going to end on an upswing. Verse 19, oh, my dear children. He's so passionate. He loves these people. I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. <laughs> now, now, Paul was a man, so this was a bit of a bold statement to actually use a metaphor of a woman actually 
going through labor pains to bring a child into this world. But that's what he's saying. It's such, it's such a process. I, it, there's pain. There's, there's agony. There, there's pressure. That I, I feel like I'm having to go through all of that again for you because I'm so passionate about this vision of God for you and for your life in Christ. And here it is. That you will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. That's the end of verse 19. That's the vision for you. That's the vision for your family. That Christ be fully developed in you. From the inside out. That Christ be made known. Be experienced. That he be fully developed in you. The power of Christ. The love of Christ. The mercy of Christ. The grace of Christ. The wisdom of Christ. The goodness of Christ the freedom of Christ, that it be fully developed in you. That's the vision of God for you and for your family now that you're in Christ. And the things that are blocking that are yourself, your own desire and stubborn, relentless insistence on staying in bondage and other people around you who would love to see you remain unfree. But the vision for you is that Christ would be fully developed in you. It's worth whatever pain, whatever loss, in order for there to be true transformation for you, true freedom, so that you are free to live, free to dance, free to sing, free to lift up your hands, free to be joyful, free to trust God and not yourself. Free to live not in fear, but in confidence in God who will protect you and protect your family as you launch out in his name and proclaim the gospel. That's freedom. Free to follow God in obedience regardless of what your mother or your mother-in-law or your father or your father-in-law or your friends. Who cares what they think? If they're not filled with the Spirit, then nothing that's coming out of their mouths is even remotely reliable as a guide for you and your experience. What you need is to be free to follow Christ in His Spirit and in His grace. That's the vision for you that He might be fully developed in you. And you go from saying no, 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 to living a life where everything about you, your countenance, your attitude, your thoughts, your patterns of worship, your expression, your first response to God and his spirit is yes, 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 I want more, I want more. I'm sorry that I'm yelling this morning. Do you know what God says the hope of the world is? Christ. Christ in you. You see, before there were Christians, the only hope of the world was Christ to you from God. In the fullness of time, the perfect timing of God, God sent forth his son. But now the hope of the world is not Christ from God. The hope of the world is Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in you. Fully developed. 
that people see something different. They see you free, not bound. They see you courageous, not fearful. They see you joyful, not cynical. Christ in you. A couple of practical things. Maybe they'll help. First is a question. Do joyfulness and gratitude flow from you in your worship and in your relationship with other people? Do joyfulness and gratitude flow from you in worship and in your relationship with other people? Listen to Psalm 100. This, I, I read this this week in the context of, of thinking through this, and it just, just listen. This is David. David could not have been more free. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Now, you've got to be free to shout in church, especially if you're Baptist. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. That's why we had to stop that first song, Brandon, and do it again. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. You're going to get someone's attention if you're shouting about what Christ has done for you in genuine praise and worship. That's freedom. Worship the Lord with gladness. Not worship the Lord wondering when the music's going to get over or why it's so cold in here or, you know, what in the world is he wearing that for? No, worship the Lord with gladness. Gladness is a freedom word. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. Enter his gates. Come in these doors with thanksgiving. Into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name because the Lord is good. That's freedom. Isn't that wonderful? That describes our worship to the Lord. It ought to be free. It ought to be filled with gladness and thankfulness and also our relationship with other people. Last Sunday night, we had a magnificent experience as part of the citywide worship service. I dare not even speak of it. It was so glorious because the Spirit of God broke into this place. People from all denominations, from all across this community, most of them were older. In fact, we looked out at the crowd and thought, oh, we didn't expect this. These were folks that, you know, had white, gray, silver hair like me and others. And I'll tell you what, when the worship started, they were on their feet and they had their hands in the air and they were worshiping with gladness and thanksgiving. And my son Jonathan was back on his mom's lap and he was just waving his hands in the air and worshiping the Lord God. To God be the glory. That's what the Spirit does. I can worship with my arms folded. Thank you. Maybe. Second, this is more of a warning. Beware of people in the body of Christ, maybe even people you prefer to be around who subtly but certainly are saying no to the spirit of grace and freedom that is in Christ. 
These are individuals who are typically marked by a spirit of suspicion, cynicism, negativity, and a critical spirit. They are petty in their responses. They've always got a negative perspective. And they are bound in their comfort zones. They are eager to have and maintain your friendship, just like Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, but their intentions are not good. They are trying to shut you off from the grace and freedom of Christ. And this is what God says. Listen, since we read Psalm 100 to help us support that first, I'm going to read from Romans 16. At the end of Paul's glorious gospel of grace, he writes to these believers, Romans 16, and now I make one final appeal, my dear brothers and sisters, watch out for people who cause divisions and upset your faith by being contrary to what you're being taught. He's not talking about people outside the church who don't know God. He's talking about people inside the church who do know God and they don't want you to experience grace. And the apostle says on the authority of Christ at the end of this great letter, watch out for people who do that. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Finally, Decide today, determine today, to what level you and your house are willing to allow Christ to be fully developed in you. To experience his fullness, his freedom and joyfulness and thankfulness. What level are you, are you willing to embrace the vision of God for your life in Christ, which is Christ in you? Are you willing to, to remove those blockers of grace and freedom, no matter what the cost, and bring yourself into a place where Christ can be fully developed in you? Or, you can go the next 20 years And have a really good Christian family. And three dollars worth of God. It's up to you.
because now Paul is going to open up for you the heavens and he's going to deliver unto the Galatian believers and he's going to deliver unto you the mystery of the riches of the spirit of Christ. He's going to do it by telling us a story about two people, Sarah and Ishmael, Isaac and, or Sarah and Hagar, Isaac and Ishmael. He's going to tell a story but you can't be ready for the story until you ask yourself that question. Am I ready for Christ to be developed in me? We can pray. Lord God, as we come to your table, to this, the table that you have prepared for us, let us be reminded first of all of the great cost to you, to your son Jesus for purchasing our redemption, our freedom. Do whatever it takes, oh God, by the power of your spirit, through the ministry of your word to bring about freedom. Christ would be powerful in me, in all of us, in the families of this congregation. Set us free from the patterns of the past where we're so much more concerned about our alliances with friends than we are about our devotion to you. Where we'd much rather worship you and lay down our lives for the cause of the gospel than some some meaningless achievement or that the hope of the world would truly become Christ in us fully known fully expressed for the praise and glory of your name for the glory of Christ in the church we ask it this time I'd like to invite our serving team to come up and join me at the communion table. As they come, I want to read a passage from Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out. For, the, for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had finished, they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. One of the most amazing things about this grace and freedom uh, in Christ that Mark has been preached to us about is, is the cost that was necessary. And on the night before he went to the cross, Jesus instituted this meal with his disciples. And though they didn't fully understand it then, we, on the other side of history, get the full ramifications of it now as we take this bread and we take this cup. It it symbolizes the body and blood of Jesus Christ that was broken and shed for us. And we get an opportunity to do that now. Uh, and, And before we do, I just ask that you would all... Uh, Just join me in a word of prayer, thanking uh, Jesus just for this privilege. 
Father, we thank you just for the grace and freedom and forgiveness that is in your son. But God, we do not do so without recognizing how dear the cost was. So God, as we come to your table, as we take part in the sacrament that you have commanded, Lord, we invite you into this place. We invite you to dine with us as you promise you will. We invite you to, to reveal yourself to us, to put your divine finger on the areas in our lives where we are, we're just taking $3 worth of you. And Lord, may we at your table surrender those to you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.
For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.